Hello, folks. Happy 4th of July. Um, I have some free time this morning, and I figured, why not make an episode because it's been, like, a week and a half, two weeks since I've made an episode, y'all. So, I'm, I finally have some time today to do this, and I'm really excited about this because I have a lot of thoughts and a lot of things that have been on my mind recently. And it's going to be a fun episode, okay? So, first of all, I'd like to share this Bible verse with you all. And, um, if you're following me on Instagram, on one of my accounts on Instagram, then you know I have, sh- I shared this the other day. And it's like my Narnia account. So, this is, um, Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verses 1 through 13. The verse that really sticks out to me, though, is chapter 7, verse 3. So I'm going to read this all, and then I'm going to read that verse that stuck out to me to y'all and kind of share my thoughts on that, and then we're going to go into a different topic. A good name is better than good ointment, and the day of death than the day of birth. That is actually the first verse, and that's another verse that sticks out to me, and I'll explain why later. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting, for that is the end of every man, and the living should take it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, because when the face is sad, the heart grows wiser. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. It is better to hearken to the wise man's rebuke, than to hearken to the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the fool's laughter. This also is vanity, for oppression can make a fool of a wise man, and a bribe corrupts the heart. Better is the end of speech than its beginning. Better is the patient spirit than the lofty spirit. Do not in spirit become quickly discontented, for discontent lodges in the bosom of a fool. Do not say, how is it that former times were better than these? For it is not in wisdom that you ask about this. That's another verse. That is verse... um, Verse 10. Wisdom and inheritance and an inheritance are good, and an advantage to those that see the sun. For the protection of wisdom is as the protection of money. And the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of its owner. Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? Here, this is cha- this is verse 14 of chapter 7. And man, this is another good one. On, on a good day, enjoy good things. And on an evil day, consider both the one and the other God has made. So that man cannot find fault with him in anything. Oh, I'm just telling you, like... Ecclesiastes chapter 7 through 4, uh, 7 through, yeah, it's just chapter 7, and then verses 1 through 14 are just, wow. <laughs> I don't know how to describe it. I picked up my Bible the other day, was feeling kind of crummy, and have been really finding it difficult to just pray and reflect and, and come to God, because I've had a lot on my mind, and it's just almost too much on my mind that if I were to go in prayer, I feel like I would become more overwhelmed, even though that's not how I should feel. I should associate prayer with, like, I'm coming to God 
for a reason and he's going to bring me that peace. You know, he might not bring it to me the way I want him to or when I want him to, but he always answers our prayers. You know, we may not notice it, we might not think it, but he always answers our prayers in some way. And one person told me once that either he answers your prayers right away, he answers your prayers in the future when he knows that it's best, or he doesn't answer your prayer, but it's not like he's not listening to you. He he knows that sometimes what we want and what we desire or what we ask him for isn't part of the plan. So he has a reason for why he doesn't answer our prayer, but he's still answering our prayer, if that makes sense. And I always kind of think about that whenever I'm I'm lifting these intentions up or I ha- I'm lifting up what's on my heart to God. I keep that in mind because I'm like, well, you know, if this is part of your plan, that's why I love when, um, you know, right before Jesus is crucified, you know, in, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's saying, you know, thy will be done, Lord. You know, he's giving himself to God. He he really didn't want to. He was scared and he was he was sad. He was had a heavy weight on his heart. And he said, thy will be done. And that's something that has always stuck out to me in that part um, in the Garden of Gethsemane is thy will be done. Even Jesus had to say, hey, God's will be done. And I think it's a perfect example, like literally the perfect example of what we should be doing too in our lives, saying thy will be done. We can ask God for these things. We can ask God to provide this and that for us. And there's nothing wrong with that. But we also have to keep in mind that his plan for us is different than we, what we have in mind at times, and that's okay. You know, there's nothing wrong in having a game plan, but you always have to have an open game game plan, an open plan where you're kind of like, I am open to change, I am open to something different. You know, you always have to be open for death too, because death is a real thing, and that's another um, thing I want to talk about, because in the first verse here... It says, a good name is better than good ointment, and the day of death than a day of birth. Think about it, okay? Like, if we live our lives well, and we know, love, and serve God, you know, like, we can be saved. You know, we will most likely have to go to purgatory because we will have the stain of sin on our souls. And purgatory guarantees heaven. And I've talked about purgatory a bit in other episodes and that's something that I really want to learn more about Uh, we actually have a book I it might even just be called purgatory I might have mentioned that before and it's a bunch of stories about people that that God has allowed um, souls in purgatory to come and visit people there's a purgatory museum somewhere it's just it's really amazing crazy stuff y'all and um, we have a book about it my dad has read it Um, or read most of it, and I've read a few little snippets here and there, and it's always, like, mind-blowing. Like, you could just read just a tiny section of that book and just be like, oh my goodness, wow. And purgatory is a beautiful thing. Um, It really, truly is, because it guarantees that we're going to heaven. And if you think about it, death should be seen by the eyes of mankind as something beautiful, as something that God allows us to experience for a very special reason, and that is to be with him. But we have to want to be with him. That's why he gave us free will. 
But I'm going to repeat this verse again, but it said here, like, a good name is better than good ointment in the day of death than the day of birth. And also, this, the Bible talks a lot about, um, or God talks a lot about in the Bible, about how a name is very important for a person. And if you think about it, like, there are these amazing saints, like um, Peter and Paul, and, you know, it was like, Paul became, Paul was originally Saul, right? And, and so the power of a name is so beautiful and amazing. And so when, I think it is really important when like someone is naming their child to always have that in mind. Um, cause I know that like I, Personally, if God, I do feel that God's calling me to the married life, and I do feel that this is something that has been on my heart since I was a little girl. I'm not telling you, I can't tell you how many times that, like, I would play family when I was little, and with literally, like, every doll, every stuffed animal, every little pet shop I possibly could, and that's something that has always stuck out to me, and how, I mean, while I might have glamorized that I know the older I get and you know I I follow a lot of people on Instagram who have you know who share about their 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 married life and share about the journeys they're going through and it's not glitter and gold y'all it is difficult and I think every vocation that God calls you to is going to be difficult and I know full well that the married life is difficult um and that's something that, for some reason, I feel so willing to endure. And I know that if it's God's plan for me, that, you know, I'd hope that I could have children and name them after saints and and name them after holy people because the power of a name, y'all. That's just a small thing that stuck out to me. But, of course, the second part of that verse, in the day of death, um than the day of birth so they're saying basically it's better the the day of death like god is saying the day of death is better than the day of birth and it's true because we are welcomed into this world by god we are brought into this world by god and that's such a beautiful gift the gift of life the gift of birth um for the moment of conception until natural death but death is even more beautiful than birth because it's this new birth and we have like a new birth when we are baptized but it's even more new and beautiful and amazing when you experience death and meet God face to face okay I don't want to go on and on here I am already ranting before I even have gone deep into this um and then I'm going to read the Verse 3, this is literally my favorite verse at the moment. Sorrow is better than laughter, because when the face is sad, the heart grows wiser. Oh, that hurts. It just hurts in the most beautiful way it possibly can. So sorrow is better than laughter, because when the face is sad, the heart grows wiser. Laughter is amazing, and it's such a beautiful gift from God, being able to laugh, being able to smile, being able to experience, feel, and just show joy. And it truly is amazing. But sorrow 
is a beautiful gift from God that we really need to start pumping up. I don't know why, but we just need to start getting pumped up about sorrow. I know it sounds bad, but when we experience sorrow in our life, when we experience defeat and these negative feelings, we should acknowledge that, wow, this is difficult. This is trying, but this is beautiful because God is allowing me to experience this for a reason because he wants my heart to grow wiser. And think about it. You get your heart broken or you you make a mistake, get your heart broken, and you're crushed, right? Well, now you're wiser. You can learn from that situation. You can learn this is not this is what I don't want in a relationship. This is what not to do in a relationship or a friendship or whatever. And while sorrow is painful and it can and pierce your heart like a knife, it truly is beautiful. And I think of I like to think of Mother Mary because um when they were presenting Jesus in the temple, um oh man what's his name? It's the old guy who God promised that he would live until he was able to see Jesus and then shortly afterwards he died. Oh man, I'm so bad. But you know who I'm talking about in the presentation of the temple. Um, He predicted that Mary was going to, he predicted Jesus' death and um, you know, it's kind of like a prophecy, right? Well, I, everyone kind of knew that it was a prophecy going on since, like, the Old Testament. Um, and he was talking about Jesus, Jesus's death and how he was going to have to die, but he was going to be, you know, saving people. And, you know, Mary, he said that, like, Mary's heart was going to be, like, pierced with the spirit or something. Um, I need to actually like go back and read the gospels to like get this word for word but you know what I'm saying because I mean I've I've read it I've heard it many times but it's been a little while but anyways as I was saying is that like Mary Mary experienced great sorrow great pain seeing her son suffer on the cross but man was it beautiful because she knew what her son was doing for the world and she felt something that we could never feel and like it was like every time he was falling down and he was being scourged she felt that too and that's just so beautiful to me and it just it's really eye-opening for how I can look at suffering, how I can look at sorrow, how we all should. So when I think about this verse, sorrow is better than laughter because when the face is sad, the heart grows wiser. It really helps you to to have a better perspective on why God allows us to be sad because we're not just sad for for no reason. And then I'm going to talk about one last verse or two um briefly Uh, let's see verse 10 do not say how is it that former times were better than these for it is not in wisdom that you ask about this so i i liked this verse because how is it that former do not say how is it that former times were better than these we're always 
I don't know about y'all, but I, I do this a lot where I'll just like scroll through my old pictures on my phone and then I'll get all sad and melancholy because I'm like, oh, I just wish I could go back to then because life was better then and I had this and this then or, oh, I was closer with this friend then. You start to go down that I wish I was back then type rabbit hole, <laughs> rabbit hole. I don't even know what I'm saying, y'all, but bear with me. Um, I was up till like 1am again. I've been up pretty much till 1 almost every night the past several weeks or later than that. But, um, anyways, I did find that verse just very, I don't know how to describe it, but it just stuck out to me in a unique way because... It, we we we've all been there you know where we're kind of like man I wish I could go back to the past and because it just felt like it was easier back then and better back then and it's true because when you're younger things were a lot easier you might not have thought about it you might have been like my life is so hard because I'm pretty sure every child has had that meltdown <laughs> and then parents are like your life is hard <laughs> anyways <laughs> now I kind of feel that because like you know, adulthood and everything, but I think it is really funny because we've, we have had that moment in our lives, and we probably still do, where we're like, man, it was easier back then, it was better back then, but God doesn't want us to think about that, he doesn't want us to think about the past and wish about what was, or even wish for what could have been, He wants us to be content in the now and know that, sure, right now might not be the best, but there's a reason for that. And then the last verse that I'm going to read is verse 14. On a good day, enjoy good things, and on an evil day, consider both the one and the other God has made, so that man cannot find fault with him in anything. So it's not implying, I know what people might be thinking, oh, God created evil. No, evil is not created by God. God only created good. When you look back in Genesis, it said literally at the end of every day, God looked at it and said it was good, okay? He never created anything evil. So you know how darkness is the absence absence of light? Well, it's the same thing for good and evil. Evil is the absence of good, right? It's never, like, darkness isn't a thing, okay? It's not, because it's just the the absence of light. We talked about this in my philosophy class last, well, in the fall. I was going to say last semester, but technically that would be the spring semester. Um, but in the fall semester, in my philosophy class, we were talking about how there is no such thing as darkness. It's just the absence of light. So the same thing, we also talked about how the same thing applies for good and evil and how God does not create evil. And that's one of the arguments why there are certain people who don't believe in God because they think, why would a good God create evil? Why would he allow us to suffer? And it's not us. You know, he, he warned Adam and Eve. He was like, if you take the forbidden fruit like this is gonna happen and it happened right 
And it was because of their sin, because of their temptation, because they disobeyed God. It's not because God was like, I'm evil, you must perish. God was never like that. And I know a lot of people might kind of get those kind of vibes when they're reading Old Testament. And so that's why I really try to encourage, well, that's why I'm going to really try to encourage y'all to read more of the Old Testament. I read the first few books of the Old Testament towards the beginning of this year, and I'm I'm still kind of working my way slowly throughout the Bible, kind of jumping around when I feel like it, you know. But I think that the Old Testament is something that a lot of people find difficult to to go through and I just feel like some people do feel like oh God is a vengeful God he doesn't you know he's he's just wanting to get back on the human race for you know Adam and Eve's sin that's not how he is that's not that's not true whatsoever because he's a loving God he's a merciful God because of that he he has to allow us to experience things as a means of paying for our sins and so when I think about this verse like on a good day enjoy good things and on an evil day consider both the one and the other God has made so that man cannot find fault with him in anything it's not like God created evil he he allows us to go through certain trials in order to grow closer to him and that's what he's wanting us to take away it's great to have a good day. It's great to just thrive and enjoy life. But we also must acknowledge that not every day is going to be like that. And because of that, we have to be okay with just saying, I'm okay. Like, today, the devil's really trying to get to me. But you know what? I am going to pray. I'm going to be strong. And I'm going to fight. And I'm, I know that God wins. God conquers. Good always wins. So that's my take on Ecclesiastes, probably butchered that name, um, chapter 7, verses 1 through 14. I've been trying to read that, at least that one verse, um, verse 3, sorrow is better than laughter because when the face is sad, the heart grows wiser. I've been trying to read at least that verse every day for the past several days, and I think I, I read that on maybe Wednesday, Tuesday of this past week. So it's it's been on my heart a lot recently. And it's something that I've been turning back to a lot. So there's just my little, like, I guess it's kind of like Lexio Divina, if you know what that is, where you, um, you'll read through, you know, maybe it's usually like the gospel for the day. You'll read through it. And then afterwards, what you'll do is you will, um, after reading through it once, like out loud, you'll kind of see, okay, was there anything you start to kind of, but before this, okay, man, I need to step back a bit. Before this, so what you'll do is you'll pray. You'll ask God to send you the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit will offer you wisdom and understanding for what you're about to read and that you might be able to gain knowledge from what you're about to read in the Bible. And then what you do is you read that, maybe it's the gospel, maybe it's a few verses in some, I don't know, maybe it's like a few verses in Ruth and you want to read Ruth. Uh, By the way, Ruth is a really good, Ruth and Esther are so good, guys, so, so good. I read them both. 
and I just, I fell in love with them. Um, anyways, uh, so, uh, what was I saying? Right. So you'll read through, so you'll pray, you'll read through it out loud, and then you'll pray again and be like, okay, did anything stick out to me? Then afterwards, if you see that anything stuck out to you, you're going to go back and read the entire passage again, but in your head and just kind of really trying to reflect and see, okay, is this thing really sticking out to me? Is there something that God's trying to tell me? Is there something that I can gain from this? Or maybe it's even like, maybe not something you can gain, but maybe something that your friend is going through that you can give them to give them as advice, if that makes sense. Something that you can share with others. So you read, you'll read through it twice. And then afterwards, you're going to pray. You're going to pray on those lines that stuck out to you, you know, feel free to get a highlighter or whatever and just pray and reflect. And that's um, just a way of reading the Bible um, that can just be very, I don't know, very fulfilling and healing because it allows us to just not just read it, but to really experience what God is trying to say and pray to God and lift up to God what's on our hearts and our minds. So that's Lexio Divina. Someone else probably explains it better than I do. Um, I don't know if I've talked about that on here before, but I've done that a few times. It, it really is a, one of the best ways to read and, and study the Bible. So there's Lexio Divina. <laughs> um, I think that pretty much concludes the first part of this podcast episode where I'm just talking about my reflections on this chapter in the Bible that I really have felt and I felt like needs to be talked about because, I mean, we all experience sorrow, we all experience laughter, we all experience the fear of death, and I feel like those verses literally just, and even like the desire to want to go in the past or want to know what, when we're going to get out of these difficult times, you know, um, so I just think that those verses in that in chapter 7 are just amazing because it literally just touches so many different things and you could really just talk and go on about these things for hours and reflect on these things for hours and you can just take one single verse and just contemplate on it for literally an entire year and that's something that is just so beautiful about the Bible and I personally have realized that it's just not me to read the entire Bible in the year. I was trying to do that at the beginning of the year and I was really making a lot of progress. I got a few months in, about two and a half months, two and a half, three months in, and I was making a lot of progress in the Bible. But then it got to a point where I just felt like I was doing it to do it and I wasn't getting anything out of it. And sometimes in the Old Testament, a lot of it would go over my head. So I just realized it would be best to just read what I feel that God is calling me to read and I would and then I was just kind of going through different things like oh I feel like God is calling me to read Esther now God's calling me to read Ruth now God's calling me to read more of the Psalms and I would just kind of do that instead everyone's different you know not saying that you can't do the Bible in the air I just feel like and my dad told me this too he's kind of give me a warning kind of like you know the Bible is is long and there's so much in it that it's it deserves to be soaked in as much as it can be so it's like 
he was kind of like, why don't you span it over the course of several years? And so honestly, that's something that I think I personally would do better with just because I like to reflect and I like to think and I like to pray about different things. Instead of just reading it front to back, I've just been hopping around and doing what I feel like God's calling me to do. So everyone can do whatever they want. Um, but I just personally realized, hey, reading a Bible in a year is not for me. And that's okay. I almost felt guilty about it at first. but Because I told myself I was going to make this goal and then I didn't achieve it. And I also made a promise that I was going to read one classic a month. And I've kind of failed at that. I was going pretty strong until... I feel like I made it through January, February, March, April. I at least made it through like four months. Part of May, I think. And then I just stopped. Because I think May I was going to read... And I'm, it's not really classic, you know, but it's... C.S. Lewis because you know my love for C.S. Lewis so I was going to like I'm just going to pretend it's a classic but it's it technically isn't because it's not in the public domain and it hasn't been published for that long you know but I still was kind of like to me it's a classic so I started reading Mere Christianity in I want to say <laughs> May and then I just like totally stopped I've been so bad about it and I was going to start an online book club where I was going to read Mere Christi- parts of Mere Christianity and parts of The Magician's Nephew along with the Bible. And I still haven't done that. So that shows you how my goals are going for the past few months. But that's okay. You know, and that's another thing too is like I, I need to not dwell on the past and not think about like, oh man, I was doing so well the first few months. That's how it always is, y'all. Like, I can't tell you how many people who have said that they're gonna do something and don't do it all the way and that's just how it goes you know but I'm proud of myself for at least making it like four and a half months into my reading challenge and I think the bible challenge I really started to like slack off on but I want to say two to three months is how far I got on that and honestly that's pretty good and that was trying to read the bible every day and I had quite a bit of reading that you have to do every day if you're wanting to finish in a year so I want to acknowledge that I did my best, but definitely not as good as I could have, but it's fine. (laughs) Um, And you know what? Honestly, choosing to take my time and not just like force myself to read one classic a month has been really great because it's allowed me to just pick up different books and different genres and things and read on my own accord and not read because I'm reading for a challenge um which has been really nice so I've been given more opportunities to just read kind of more of what I wanted to read not like here are some classics that I'm gonna read because they're gonna help my writing skills and my reading skills and it's gonna be good for the future and everything it's kind of the mindset I had and I mean it's not like it's bad or anything but it was more kind of like it felt like school even though I did like a lot of the classics I was reading and I fell in love with, um, you know, various authors. But again, it's just, it's difficult. It's, it's old, it's older English, you know, so it is very difficult. You have to reread certain lines and things, but again, like it, you can never go wrong with the classics. So that's something that I've always kind of had in the back of my head. 
and I know that reading them just helps with your vocabulary and it helps with your writing skills and your reading skills and it really does challenge you but again it's not something that I want to read like all the time because it can be kind of heavy so recently I started reading like some religious like really short religious type books that are more kind of like prayer type things um i talked about the 30 days with saint therese elisu um i am on day i should have been done um a few weeks ago but i got behind but i'm I'm gonna finish it i'm on day 23 i think day 23 or 24 so i'm close to being done with it um and it's been really good so far because it's it has like and a really small little excerpt from her one of her writings then bible verse that goes with it then a reflection like a daily reflection and then a daily prayer and it's literally on just like two small pages so it's very doable and i also have this book which is like 99 sayings and quotes and writings from saint therese of Lisieux, and they're just I mean, it's a pretty small, skinny book, and I'm almost done with that as well. So I've been kind of reading more lighter religious type things, but on top of that, I decided to read The Outsiders, and I think I mentioned that in my last podcast episode, and I was only on chapter three at the time, two or three, I think it was on chapter two, but I actually read almost, like, I think I was only a few chapters into it when I brought it with me on our camping trip this week and I literally finished the entire thing there was a day where I literally I want to say I had maybe a third of the book left and I just sat down and I just read it all I was like I need to do this maybe it was a fourth I don't know but I was proud of myself because it's a it's almost it's like a I want to say it's almost at least mine is almost 200 pages um not including like the letter from the author at the beginning and all the extra stuff in the back has like an interview with the author in the back and then it has um like maybe like a chapter of one of her other books and then it has like some school discussion questions because in I know like some schools require seventh and eighth graders to read the outsiders but here's where another one of my rants begins because I'm going to tell y'all why I think everyone should read The Outsiders. So I know it's on some reading lists for school and it's not on some reading lists for school and it really just depends on the school and the level of like how comfortable everyone is with reading it. It's not like it's bad because schools are like, it. it's okay if 7th and 8th graders read it, you know? But... I mean, there is, like, underage drinking, smoking, and other stuff. Um, it's nothing bad. There's literally, like, no cussing. In in the film, there's cussing. But in the book, there's maybe the D word. I think that's really all I remember. I think it was just the D word in the book, and it was just towards the end. Um so there's like really no cussing um there's like no sexual content there's there's you know there's nothing bad like that but there is underage drinking and smoking so that's my warning for y'all if that's something that is going to bother you 
But there is a reason behind that because these kids have crappy lives, okay? Um, you know, either their parents are dead or one of their parents left them or one of, or their parents are abusive. Like, they, these kids are living very difficult lives, you know, not the wealthiest people whatsoever. Um, pretty poor, living in not so great area, you know? So it's, you can't blame them for turning to things like cigarettes and alcohol at a young age because that's something that they would do to numb the pain. I think a character was maybe like seven or eight, maybe even nine, I can't remember, when he started smoking. So it's pretty, it's pretty normal in this area too. So, I mean, and this is, this is life, y'all. I think that's another thing too, is the author based this off of people she knew, um, situations she knew that were going on, things that she saw and she observed, and she really, truly placed herself into the narrator's shoes, and even though she's not exactly like the narrator, she said, and at least in the back in the interview, she, the author, Essie Hinton, was saying how, um, <clears throat> excuse me, she was saying how, uh, why can't I think? But she was basically saying, like, out of all the characters that she's ever written and all the books she's ever written, she said that Ponyboy Curtis, the narrator in this, and now what you're thinking, that's his name, yes, but I'm not going to go into details about that because you're going to be like, excuse me, is that really his name? Yes, Ponyboy Curtis. And I will let you have the enjoyment of <clears throat> him explaining that, okay? So... Um, I'm just trying to get y'all to read it. That's all I'm saying. Um, and then you're also going to hear my take on some of the religious themes that you might not be like, I don't know, you might not see when you're reading it, but I feel like are hidden in there. You know, I don't think Essie Hinton intended it to be that way, but I honestly think that there's a possibility she could have. And I know what you're thinking. Oh man, here she goes with all of her like, Christianity and literature thing and I know some people find that annoying where they're like it's a secular book can you just let it be a secular book but no my dad pointed this out recently he was telling me the religious themes in this story and I was like man he's so right and I feel like it is kind of clear anyways basically um S.E. Hinton was talking about the author was talking about how she probably relates the most to the narrator of the story because it's from the point of view um pov of Ponyboy curtis he is a 14 year old boy um who is living with his two older brothers um and he man i don't want to spoil anything all i have to say is that this is an amazing book and I'm actually going to just read what Goodreads says on this because I don't want to give anything away. And Goodreads basically is just kind of like, we're not going to spoil it for you, but we're going to try to get you to read it. So I'm going to read what Goodreads says about this because you know I love Goodreads. It's one of my favorite apps. 
All right, so The Outsiders is about two weeks in the life of a 14-year-old boy. The novel tells the story of Pony Boy Curtis and his struggles with right and wrong in a society in which he believes that he is an outsider. According to Pony Boy, there are two kinds of people in the world, greasers and socias. A soch, which is short for social, has money, can get away with just about anything, and has an attitude longer than a limousine. Like that. A greaser, on the other hand, always lives on the outside and needs to watch his back. Ponyboy is a greaser, and he's always been proud of it, even willing to rumble against a gang of soches for the sake of his fellow greasers. Till one terrible night when his friend Johnny kills a soche, the murder gets under Ponyboy's skin, causing him, um, causing his world to crumble and teaching him that pain feels the same whether a soche feels the same whether a soch or a greaser so i think that this book has a lot of really really good themes i know what you're thinking there's a murder there's underage smoking underage drinking you're like um, excuse me how is this good this book good for us okay <laughs> no there is a lot of reasons why it's good okay first i'm going to point out some of the religious themes because i think a lot of people listening to this are christian um so i think you will appreciate this so the narrator ponyboy curtis he i want to say my dad and i were trying to figure this out and we we came up with that let me see what i wrote down because i feel like this is important maybe it didn't save on my phone that's fine. I don't think it's saved. Oh, no, it did. So, um, I don't want to spoil this because this really does give away a lot. Um, we're just going to say someone died a martyr. Someone was redeemed. You know, he was a sinner, but he was redeemed. And then someone felt like he was too far gone. Someone was a Judas. I'm not going to say who it is because I don't want to give it away to anyone. But there are three characters. One I said I labeled as a saint. One a sinner but was redeemed. And one felt that he was too far gone to be redeemed. And he was a Judas. And there is a lot of themes of self-sacrifice. So self-sacrifice held this these group of boys together and I know what you're thinking like they might just seem reckless and like they have no morals and they have no heart but they would defend their friends in a heartbeat they would die for their friends okay this is self-sacrifice we're talking about and I read this quote and it's like family isn't always who you are born with it's who you would die for and that really applies to this story because their families are are broken broken families and and that's another thing too is that you really see how um just how things like alcohol and divorce and death and things can break a family apart and can really affect the mental and physical health of children. I, I, I kind of wrote about this once in relation to like World War II and how World War II affected children and how 
you know, the absence of their parents and, um, you know, not having enough food and other things would lead to like eating disorders. And there was just a lot of stuff that can happen when a family is broken and, and, and like taken away from each other. And, um, I feel like this book definitely shows that, but self-sacrifice is such a strong theme in this book. And it really takes me back to just how self-sacrifice is just a good virtue. And it's something that we should practice because one of like the, the greatest form of love is like basically like dying, being willing to die for someone and being being willing to just give your all to someone and that's what God did for us as a means of redeeming us and I feel like that's a theme very clearly shown in this book basically that's just my quick take on the outsiders I don't know how much I can tell without spoiling anything if you know what I mean I feel like there's a lot that I could talk about concerning Narnia especially because I feel like a lot of people grew up with that and a lot of people have read that but if I were to go into details about the outsiders I would give a lot away because it's just something that I don't want I don't want to spoil for anyone because it's just not something that I feel right doing um I had it spoiled for me but it was my own fault so um I'm just not gonna go there but I did want to just kind of briefly share my thoughts on it because it is literally one of the best books that I have read recently um probably one of my favorite books that I've read recently and it's so good it's it's one that you're literally like gonna be gripping the cover to um I did that (laughs) my poor cover is a little ruined um because I was gripping it to death but it's just it literally is so 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 good guys so good and the movie's really really good as well um so well done it's kind of like you know Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe it's but it's almost um I want to say it's almost sorry my dog was acting weird um (laughs) I want to say it's like almost like a probably one of the best book to film adaptions that I have ever seen um where everything was kind of word for word and even the appearance of the characters and their clothes and everything were just wow I can you're kind of like wow I can totally see it other than Dally. Dallas Winston is just kind of his appearance isn't that great. Um uh because I'm trying to think how to describe this. Because in the book he's kind of supposed to be ugly and he's supposed to have like really 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 light blonde hair kind of almost whitish looking but he doesn't because Matt Dillon plays him and I know it's kind of funny those but like like Matt Dillon's very attractive to me 
and it's it's kind of crazy because you're like but Dally isn't supposed to be attractive right I'm pretty sure like Essie Hinton didn't intend any of her characters to be attractive attractive except the Curtis brothers the Curtis brothers are the attractive group especially Soda his brother Soda Pop Curtis I know you're like another weird name what the heck you'll understand if you read the book and you'll love it because I love it but um yeah basically that's another thing too and I it's like I love all the actors in The Outsiders and if you think about it you're just like wow like this is kind of like their first film a lot of them it was their first film um first big film like this and they were all really young like 17 18 19 you know what I mean um and it was there these are like people that are about to be big stars in the late 80s right and it's just kind of crazy because this is it was really what made them start out you know there's like Ralph Macchio who plays Johnny in The Outsiders but he is he ends up literally like a year or two later I think it's like literally a year later he's in Karate Kid and like everybody knows who he is after that but it's like all these people that you would probably recognize because they've been in so many popular 80s films is just it's kind of funny you know there's Rob Lowe who's been in like St. Elmo's Fire and um, other films in the 80s and then you also have like Matt Dillon who's been in a lot of films in the 80s and just all these big name actors like Tom Cruise and it's really crazy because they're all like really young you know they're all like 18 or 19 filming this and it's just it is really cool because if you've seen a lot of movies from the 80s you'll recognize some of these actors and you'll be like wow this is kind of their first thing so if you're a big 80s movies fan or even like 80s music fan or just a huge fan of the 80s I think you would like the Outsiders film I will warn you it's PG-13 but only mainly because of the reasons I said and there are there is more cussing in it so that's just my warning for you about that anyways it's just an amazing book an amazing film and I know how I said that Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe was probably my like the best book to film adaption that I've ever seen but I'm gonna actually have to put that second because um maybe it's just because they had Essie Hinton working on set with them and she starred in the film maybe that's why it was just perfect but I think it also had to do with the director Francis Ford Coppola because he really really took the time to make it as real as he possibly could in fact he even made some of the I think he even made like most of the boys go in like in pairs or something and stay with people that actually lived as you know like greasers in the 60s you know those type of people um you know, if you've seen West Side Story and if you've seen Grease, it kind of gives me those vibes, but it's nothing like those, and I don't like when people compare it to those because it's not like that, but if you're trying to explain it to someone who's kind of like, wait, so what is The Outsiders? A good, simple way of it would just kind of be like Grease meets West Side Story, but we're talking about... um. 
like no sappy love story and no singing which probably would be appealing to a lot of people especially guys so anything it's better than the two of those i had to watch west side story for for class once and i had to like analyze it and compare that with romeo and juliet and it's slightly similar to that but not um not really at all but again it's kind of like two different social classes you know butting heads and it's that struggle but it's also realizing that are they so different than they actually think they are maybe not so much and that's kind of what you're left with at the end of the book sure they might be in different social classes they might have different lives and they might feel things differently but are they really that different and that's something that I you could really take away from that book and I don't want to go into detail about that but there are definitely religious themes and redemptive qualities in these characters that are just really appealing and it's just a, such a heartwarming story and when you see that in a film it even makes it more heart heartwarming and more bittersweet when you watch it and they just did such an amazing job um that I highly, highly, highly recommend it to y'all. I'm not going to go into more details. Like I said, I really, really, really wish I could say more. But again, it's one of those books where you cannot spoil because it would give away a lot. Um, and I had it spoiled for me. So while you're reading it, and if, if you choose to read it, or you want more information about this, and you don't care about spoilers, you want to know more details, feel free to talk about it with me. Like, just just message me or whatever if you are interested in getting more details about this um or wanting to know my thoughts about this because I have a lot to say I just don't want to spoil it for anyone but um it just it's so beautiful and just it and if you love just I guess the thought of celebrating the little things in life you will like this book because I feel like it really made me sit back and think about that because um there's a lot of talk about sunsets and there's even poetry in it so if you are a big poetry fan maybe even a big fan of the poet Robert Frost then you will probably (laughs) you'll probably enjoy this book because you think about it I I often wonder if S.E. Hinton had like read that poem and was kind of like man I need to write an entire book about that and I don't think that's what she was thinking because in her letter at the beginning of this edition of the book um because it's like an anniversary edition I think this edition of the book she has a letter at the beginning it's like a two-page letter and she talks about how she had to write a short story when she was like 16 about and she decided to write it about a kid who gets beat up on the way home from school and that turned into the outsiders and she had that published only a few years later which is insane if you think about it i'm like man that's just so cool like and it happened because um you know she wrote that short story and then i think someone from her school or some friend, maybe her, I think it might have been one of her friend's moms, or someone from school, um, got a hold of her story, and they just were like, wow, this, this needs to be shared with the world, 
and so she ended up taking it to a publisher because she had connections and soon enough her book was published she was very young she was like this very young lady who's maybe not even an adult yet or or maybe she was I can't remember how old she was when it was published I should know more about this but I just think it's amazing what she was able to accomplish and a lot of people are kind of taken aback when they see that this story revolves around seven boys but mainly like one boy it's from his perspective one to three boys if you're really thinking about it maybe even two boys mainly kind of like Johnny and Pony Boy, but mainly Pony Boy, but there's seven boys. And if you think about it, you're like, wow, this is crazy because this is written by a girl. And she did a lot of this when she was 16. So I just have so much respect for Essie Hinton and what she did. Um, and she decided to make her author name be Essie Hinton, you know, kind of like C.S. Lewis, because she didn't want people to think once they saw her name that she was a female she kind of wanted to pretend a little bit that she was a guy writing this book because she didn't want people to think that oh this is a girl writing a book about guys this is gonna be sucky I can tell you that this is one of the best books that I have ever read and she did such an amazing job I love her writing style like she's up there with C.S. Lewis right now and I'm not kidding. Her writing style is something that I cannot describe. And it's just really real and authentic and just has a lot of feels. The way that she writes Ponyboy, it's just a lot of feels and a lot of just moments where you, you feel like you're in his shoes. And and it might have just been because I relate quite a bit to the main character in that story. And I might have an episode about that where I talk about how I relate to Ponyboy Curtis, the narrator of this story. But not today because I've already been ranting too much about different things and going on side rants and everything. But you can tell that this book means a lot to me. And for very special personal reasons that I don't want to say. Um, not that I've ever, like, not that I wouldn't tell y'all, but it's just not on here, you know? Um, but guys, seriously, please read The Outsiders. If you need to borrow the book from me, I will let you borrow it. Like, please it's it's so good and I even have the film I have the book not the book I have the movie now I have the book too but I have the movie now it's the complete novel version that they released several years ago where they added scenes from the beginning and the end that were cut out so it adds about 20 close to 30 minutes of additional screen time and it's even it's called the complete novel version because it's pretty much the complete novel front to back because they left out a bit from the beginning and the end of the film anyways y'all i'm sorry for my rants about bible verses and the outsiders but you know <laughs> you can't go wrong with reading either but especially the bible y'all so i just wish y'all all the best happy fourth of july and I just hope that everyone's having a wonderful Sunday, a wonderful week, or whatever day of the week that you're listening this on. I hope you're having a wonderful day. I hope that you are finding peace and able to make memories this summer. And take care, y'all.
talk to you all later.